Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. You can look at your sheets that I passed out as well. And most of those notes are on here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. And let's read out loud and let's read loudly. Ready? Read. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And let's say this out strong. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say that last part again. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we talk about Christmas, we can't talk about Christmas without talking about Christ. Christ is Christmas, okay? What is Christmas to people? Well, you know, if you were just to ask a a kid or ask, you know, a person on the street, what is Christmas all about? What would they probably tell you? Well, you'd think of words like lights, festivities, music, you know, uh, cookies and, and uh, time off work and presents and the joy and the, you know, the, the green and the red colors all over the place, decorating, you know, your house, setting up a Christmas tree. They talk about, well, the, there's a nativity scene. We have to have, to have to have the nativity scene in there, right? Because that's really what it's all about. And then we have Santa Claus, right? It's also, remember, it's Jesus' birthday, right? So there's all these things of what Christmas is. And can I tell you, Christmas is a celebratory time. I'm not against anything to do with the celebration and the festivities of Christmas. I have been a pastor at a church for years, and every year, every year, someone's come up to me and said, Pastor, can I talk with you? And I just knew what they were going to talk with me about. It's about Christmas. And I, I I don't believe in the trees. You know why the trees? This comes from pagan origin. You know the reason for uh, winter solace. Remember, that's the reason why we have Christmas on in December. And, uh, and you know the reason. I mean, they'll go thing to thing. And then, then comes Easter. And then there's all about, you know, the God of the pagan God of reproduction and all that kind of thing. And that's why the bunnies and this and that. And, that. and I'd sit down. I'd say, they'd say, have you ever heard of that, Pastor? I said, man, I hear it every year. I've heard it over and over. And I've studied it. And I've looked into it. And I've prayed about it, you know, to see, Lord, is this something that... And can I tell you, I don't have any problem with any of the holidays. We decorate, you know, our house. We have, as you can see, we have a Christmas tree. I don't worship the Christmas tree. You won't ever see us bowing down to the Christmas tree, right? I like big fat Santa, you know, to come in. I remember a couple years ago, you know, at the church, uh, I asked, I said, well, why don't we have Santa in the lobby and have pictures taken with Santa? And one of the, one of the elders, you know, came up and, you know, said something about, we can't have Santa, you know, replacing Jesus. I said, no, 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 I'm not saying worship Santa. I'm just saying take a picture of Santa, you know. So, because can I tell you, these kinds of things, they, this, is, this is the world we live in, right? We're not supposed to isolate ourselves from the world we live in. We do have to watch our hearts, that our hearts aren't worshiping and gravitating after those things. But can I tell you, Christmas to us is Christ Jesus. Amen. Christmas to us is Christ Jesus. I don't care if you have a snowman or fat Santa or, you know, or the, or the lights or the trees or all those things. I think 
we have uh, four rooms in our downstairs, and I think we have a tree in every one of the rooms, right? But I haven't worshipped. I pray, walk around the house in the mornings and pray. I haven't worshipped one of the trees. Never will. No. But that's what Christmas is to a lot of people. Also, uh, December 25th is a Jesus birthday. Well, probably it's December 25th isn't Jesus' birthday, and Luke chapter 2 says that there were angels in the same country and shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, you know, the, the, during the certain time of the year, the shepherds would bring out their sheep out to the fields, and they would have uh, times out there. And then it says that the, the angel of the Lord stood before them. Well, in Adam Clark Bible commentary, it says it was customary for the Jews to send their sheep to pasture from the spring until early October. So angels announcing Jesus' birth was probably no later than October. Well, you say, well, why is it December? Should we, should we be celebrating Christmas in December? Well, we're celebrating Jesus. Amen? We're celebrating Jesus. And so, but he probably wasn't born on December the 25th, uh, but it is a time that we celebrate him. Christmas literally is Christ's Mass. I could sit here for at least 20 or 30 minutes and go over all the different origins and places of Christmas. But literally, it's Christ's Mass. Just short for that. The word Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Someone, it's not? (laughs) Christ is not Jesus Christ, you know, Mr. Christ. No, no, Christ is not Jesus' last name. The word Christ is uh, from the Greek word Christos, and it comes from the Hebrew word that means Messiah, Messiah, okay? Now, in the days they were looking for, remember back in Jesus' day, before Jesus' day, they had prophesied for hundreds of years and even thousands of years that the Messiah would come. The word Messiah literally means the anointed one. Well, what does anointed mean? See, we almost have to go back thing to thing to thing. Christ means, comes from Christos, comes from Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. What does anointed one means? It, it comes from anointing. What is anointing? It means to rub on or to pour on. Tiffany was telling me a, a couple weeks ago, she goes, baby, your elbows are dry. I said, really? She said, you need to anoint your elbows with, you know, well, it wasn't I was going, oh, Lord, I just anoint my elbows. No, she was just saying rub it into something that's dry, but to anoint means to pour over or to rub on. The Holy Spirit, when we say the anointing, and the the Word of God talks about the anointing, it really, it's the Holy Spirit on us. When Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, he found in the book of Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Say anointed me. Anointed me with what? Or with who? With the Holy Spirit. Notice he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. The Spirit on me, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, you know, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and he goes on. He's anointed me to do that. Any ministry that you need, you need the Holy Spirit on you to be able to do that. Do you remember in the book of Acts before Jesus left, he said, don't go out and just do witnessing. He said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be witnesses. What was he saying? Well, just like Jesus needed the Holy Spirit on him to do ministry, we need the Holy Spirit on us to do ministry. Can somebody say amen? 
How many would say, I need the Holy Spirit on me to do ministry? We need the Holy Spirit on us to do ministry. So many times we don't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit as if he's a controversial subject. But can I tell you, we need the Spirit of God on us. Christmas literally means the anointed one. Christ literally means the anointed one. That's why I believe that when people are singing Christmas songs and, and Christmas carols, they're opening their, the door to what could be the spirit of Christ or the spirit of the Lord into their life. Just like we will say in the church, we'll call it secular music, you know, mainstream music. or thing. It means non-Christian music. And some will say, do you believe in secular music? And I'll say, oh, of course there's secular music. I believe that there's secular music. No, do you believe in it? Well, what do you mean believe in it? Do I believe in the messages of all of it? Well, I don't believe in the messages of all Christian music, right? And we'll get into these heavy dividing lines. And here's what I would say about that is that in music, just like in media, just like in conversation, just like in people, there's spiritual influences, could someone agree? There's spiritual influences that people have in order to perform or in order to do things that will help people or entertain people or do different things. And so what I would say when it comes to music or when it comes to media or when it comes to things is you really have to watch that you're not just enjoying the entertainment, but you just pay attention to the influences that are behind the entertainment. I, I, I love all kinds of music. I'm a musician. I've studied all kinds of music. I love jazz, and I love classical, and I love hip-hop, and I love, you know, rock, and I love a uh, little bit of country. I'm, I'm admitting it. I'm admitting it. I like, I like some country, right? But I'm telling you, I like all of it. But you do have to watch some of the influences that are behind it. The reason I say that is because in Christmas music, when they're singing songs like we sang this morning, Christ is the Lord, oh, praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim. Some of those that they're singing are scriptures. And there's anointing on those scriptures. And if we can get those scriptures on the radio, we can get those scriptures in malls, we can get those scriptures in shopping centers, we can get those scriptures in our homes. What a great time. Christmas is a time that, that people's hearts can be open and they don't know that they're being influenced by Christ Jesus, <laughs> right? It's kind of like a, a covert way or, or a way that they're kind of sneaking in. And I know this person's not going to get it in any other way. Just like we're going to have on the 21st, 22nd, or 22nd, 23rd, a candlelight service. Some people will come for a candlelight service and say, oh, isn't that precious? I'll bring my kids and we'll, we'll light a candle. We'll be good. But they're going to get some Jesus in that. Amen? Right. And the Lord will use anything. Paul said, I become all things to all people that I may win some. So literally, Christ is the anointed one. And let me say about Memphis. Okay, Memphis. Memphis is a city. A city is really the people in the city. Jesus said he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands or in brick and mortar. Jesus doesn't dwell in like this speaker. And all of a sudden, the speaker goes, ooh, and I go, is that Jesus in there? No, no, no. Spirits don't dwell in things that aren't made with hands. Remember when there was that demoniac and Jesus came to deliver that, the demon out of the person? And you remember what the demon said? Permit us to go into the pigs. Why? Because the pigs were alive. And the pigs had souls. Those pigs don't have spirits, but the pigs have souls. 
And so he said, they said, permit us to go into the pigs, right? And, and so uh, he said, come out. They came out. They went into the pigs. And what did the pigs do? They ran into the lake and they drowned, right? Because they were, there was an influence that was over the pigs, an influence that was over the man and such and all that, all that to say. When Jesus dwells in a city, he doesn't dwell in buildings. He doesn't dwell in just your house. He dwells in your house. When we say Jesus filled this church up, it's not just these, like, come into this projector. No, it's come into our hearts. We welcome him into our hearts. In fact, right now, would you with me welcome Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, into your heart. Jesus, come dwell in me. Just say it right now. Jesus, dwell in me. Jesus, have your place in me. Jesus, let nothing else influence my life except you. Let nothing else influence my heart except you. Let nothing else influence my mind except you, Jesus. I want you to have rulership of me. So when we're talking about Memphis, we're literally talking about the people of Memphis. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, said that he came for the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus came for a certain people, and someone came up to him and said, I need some ministry, and he says, sorry, I didn't come for you. He loved him, but that's not who he came for. By living in Memphis, you and I, this is our home. This is our people. God's called us to minister to people here and to see the spirit of the Lord poured out over people's lives here in the city of Memphis. Can somebody say amen? So when we're talking about Christ in Christmas, we're talking about Christ and the word mass is, is literally a service or a gathering of people. So when we're talking about Christmas in Memphis, we're not talking about Christmas in a city or Christ in a city. We're talking about Jesus Christ influencing people and the spirit of the Lord being poured out over this city. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, it says, at that time you were without Christ and you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope. I want you to notice, and I underline those words on your sheets. Without Christ, having no hope. Without Christ, having no hope. Can I tell you this morning, you cannot have hope without having Christ. This city cannot have hope without having Christ. We need Christ Jesus. That's why it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, to them willed, made known, and this is what we read, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say it over your own heart today and over your own life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. See, we can pray for hope, but what we need to realize is that hope comes with Christ or Christ comes with hope. We need the anointed one, the savior of the world on the inside of our lives. So I'm going to give you these three points quickly. Number one is this. I'm going to talk about today about just a couple of things with communion. Number one, in the book of John chapter 6 and verse 30, this question is asked to Jesus. What sign will you give us that you're the Messiah or the Christ? What sign will you give us that you're the anointed one. We've been looking for him for a long time, and how do we know? Now, let me explain to you for a moment. The day before they asked this question, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, okay? 5,000 was just a little boy's lunch. He gave thanks for it, and, and this, this, uh, this powerful thing had happened. But they came back to Jesus, and they said, what sign are you going to give us? And watch what they said here in verse uh, 30. 
Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Lord, do a trick for us, so to speak. Do something for us supernaturally so that we can believe that you're the Christ. And what work are you going to do? They said in verse 31, because our fathers ate man in the desert, as it is written, he gave bread from heaven to eat. See, the day before he had fed the 5,000, they ate the bread, which was a miracle, but they also reasoned that Moses gave Israel bread, and he didn't claim to be the Messiah. So just like you gave us bread, that doesn't mean you're the Messiah necessarily, because you gave us bread. So they're saying, show us a sign. And, and, and they ate the bread. They ate a miracle, so to speak. They, they partook of, a, of the supernatural. But they reasoned that Moses gave Israel bread for 40 years and didn't claim to be the Messiah. So it wasn't enough evidence to believe. You know, sometimes we do that with the Lord, or maybe not us, but people do that with the Lord. Is they're like, show me that there's a God. Prove that there's a God out there. And they'll have miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. But here's what it comes down to. Miracles aren't going to get people saved. Miracles could lead people to believe, but the believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the confession with their mouth is what gets them saved. Can somebody say amen? So that's what, that's what we want is to get people saved, not just to perform miracles. So what are they saying? They're saying... I know you just fed us yesterday. I know you did a miracle. But how do we know? Give us a sign. Prove to us. You fed me yesterday, but I'm kind of hungry today, right? Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Say true bread from heaven. Yeah, he said, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. Moses gave you bread that could feed your bodies today. Can I tell you, a miracle can take care of you today, but the bread of heaven can take care of you ongoingly. Sometimes we can just say, I just need a miracle. No, you just need Jesus. I just need someone. I just need a miracle. I need a sign. I need a prophecy. I need something to, to just, just, just awaken me. And sometimes we, we, we can take on these supernatural sensational things, which I love them. I love the supernatural move of God. But sometimes we can seek the signs, and then we just need another sign. But can I tell you what we need? We need the Christ. We need the anointed one. We need Jesus to come upon us, and that's where the supernatural flow of the Lord will come in us. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What is he saying? He said, Moses gave you bread that will feed your physical bodies. He says, but the bread from heaven will sustain you. And will give you life. How many would say, I need the bread of heaven today? Yes, I need the bread of heaven today. Uh, I grew up in a, a house full of boys. My mom and dad, God bless my mom and dad. My dad's gone home to be with the Lord. I talk to my mom very often. But I'm one of three boys, and I have three boys. Can I tell you, boys can eat. You know what I mean? My mom would come, and my mom would fill up the refrigerator. We bring we bring friends home from sports, you know, and things. And and uh, I remember she'd buy two or three gallons of milk, and she'd come in, and in a day or two, the, all the milk's gone. Where's mom? Where's the milk? I just bought milk. I just you know. And so, uh, and this was before the days of Sam's Club and Costco, where you'd kind of pile up, you know. This was like where you just went into a grocery store and bought it. And there, she'd have a whole you know things of bread. 
you'd buy, well, I bought two loaves of bread. That bread would be gone in a day or two, right? You know what I mean? Because boys like to eat. And you just think, what do they have, a hollow leg? Where are they putting it all, you know? How, where's all this food going? Because they like to eat and eat and eat. And now, you know, seeing our boys, I'm thinking, goodness, Tiffany just filled up the refrigerator. And now I look inside and all, all of it's gone. The pantry, all this stuff's gone. Because boys like to eat. And I'm one of the boys, by the way. Okay, But boys like to eat. Can I tell you, just because Jesus did a miracle for them yesterday, they still needed a miracle today. If we, if we just try to give people miracles but don't give them Jesus, they're going to be hungry tomorrow. That's why we need to get Jesus into the hearts of people. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Moses gave you something that will feed you today, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow. That's why you're talking to me right now. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. See, they were still thinking about temporary food. You fed me yesterday. Can you feed me the rest of my life? I want to get on the food meal plan. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Say that with me. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, listen, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I believe that's what the sign is right there. What sign is it that Jesus is the Messiah? What sign is it that you have Jesus in your life? It's fulfillment. It's fulfillment. It's that you're not hungry and thirsty for something else anymore. Can I tell you, if I have Jesus, I have everything. If I have everything but I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. He says, I'm the bread of life. Look at it. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This is a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. When you come to him and you believe, you will not hunger or thirst for things any longer. You might say, well, I hunger and thirst for other things. Then you need more of Jesus in your life. You need to dive into Jesus more into your life. Let me tell you, Jesus says seven different things in the book of John here about hungering, never hungering. Number one, he says, I'm the bread of life. Number two, he says, I'm the light of the world. Number three, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Number seven, he says, I am the true vine. What does he mean by a true vine? It means that there's other vines that pretend to be like Jesus, but they don't give the life flow that Jesus gives. Why? Because you know it's Jesus when it's anointed. You know it's Jesus when the Holy Spirit is flowing on it. You know it's Jesus when it brings life. When it doesn't bring life and it's dry and you continue to be all dry on the inside, then you didn't get the anointed Jesus. He says, I'm the true vine. And then he goes on and says, never thirst. He who comes to me will never hunger. And if you believe in me, you'll never thirst. Never thirst, he says over in the book of John chapter 7, that rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. Why? Because of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Rivers of living water will flow in you. So if you're not hungering, if you're not thirsting, then what do you have? You have fulfillment. You have satisfaction. You know, with diets, a big thing that's been out, you know, for years, it's out, you know, we'll have like an appetite suppressant. What, what appetite suppressant, you know, can I take? It, what does that mean? It means I, I don't want to be hungry. Why? Because I don't know what to do when I'm hungry. I like to eat, right? So I want an appetite suppressant. Can I tell you that when you have fulfillment spiritually in your life, you won't be seeking 
You won't be seeking things to fill up your heart, fill up your spirit, fill up the, the spiritual and the soulish appetites. We need to fill up with Jesus. Amen. Number two, believing and receiving Jesus. Well, how do I, you may say, well, I have Jesus in my heart, but how do I believe and receive Jesus? Well, in uh, verse 47 of John 6, a little bit after this, John 6, 47, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. How many believe in Jesus today? How many have everlasting life today? And then he goes on to say, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. Your fathers ate the miracle, so to speak, because the manna was a miracle. It dropped down from heaven. Your father, uh, I had signs and wonders, and miracles happened in my life. Well, didn't Jesus say, many will say in my name, I perform signs and wonders. I have done things. And he says, but I never knew you. See, it's not just miracles, and it's not just though those things come with the Lord. It's about knowing Jesus in your life and having him in your life. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Believe in Jesus and you get everlasting life. Not only do you live forever, but you have abundant life. Everlasting life is not just you have a long life and really you live forever spiritually. No, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. God wants to bless you in every area of your life. Are you just talking about money? I'm talking about fulfillment, joy, overflow to where your life is an overflow to be able to minister to others and who fills you up the Lord fills you up he says I've come that they may have life you can temporarily live on the the acts of God or the miracles of God but we need Jesus to have that overflow overflow verse 53 then Jesus goes on he says something and you know it sounds a little weird to people Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I could just imagine these people standing around Jesus and, uh, you know, just a normal guy that's doing these supernatural works, and they're going, is this the one? I mean, I, I know where his mom is and his brothers are and where he's came from, come from, and uh, is this the one? And then they start listening to his words, and he's like, I'm the bread of life, sent down from heaven, and they're saying, I was, I remember when you were born. What do you mean? And then, he, then they're like, well, let's just listen to him for a little while longer. And then he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. And they're like, okay, he's gone too. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we look at these people and say, how did they walk away from Jesus? I, in the natural, I'd have walked away from Jesus too. Anybody who comes and tells me, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? And what, what happened right after this? I mean, just in the natural not receiving it in your heart, just in the natural trying to process that. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What is he saying? He's saying, eat the flesh and drink the blood is receive Jesus into you. Receive him into you. How do you get Jesus into you? We're talking about communion today. How do you get Jesus into you? Then he goes on and he says in verse 60, 60, that many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And then in verse 66, it says, so many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why? Because they didn't get how to get Jesus 
into them. They didn't get this eating the flesh and drinking the blood. And, but I want to explain the Lord's table in this point number three. And this is easy. It's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And we're going to receive communion today. It says this, listen. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed. I want to remind you, this was the very last thing that happened before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to be delivered over to the people who would take him into crucifixion. He says, for I received that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, listen, he took bread. This was the last thing Jesus did. This was the last act he did with people before he was turned over. Listen, the very last thing, he took bread. The Bible says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, listen, this is my body which is broken for you. What was he saying? He was saying, this, what I'm handing you, this is a symbol of taking me into you. This is my body which is broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. All they knew up to this point was the old covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and are sick among you. I'm going to read seven things that you see in this. Number one is that Communion or the Lord's table is not suggested, it's commanded. It's commanded. He says in verse 4, 24, 25, take, eat. He doesn't say any specific amount of times, but he says make sure to do it. He doesn't say any specific locations, but he says make sure to do it. Can I tell you, there's times in my own home to where I've noticed that sickness has been going on in my house. You know, kids sick, my wife's sick, I start Something comes on me, and I don't know what's going on. Now, I could either say, well, it's just going around my family. It's hit him, him, him. You're next. <laughs> You're next. Or, you know what I do? We've done this several times, a pull-out communion. You know what I do? I remember. In the Bible, they would take the blood, and they would put it over the doorpost, and they would say, all this stuff that the enemy's trying to wreak havoc and take out, my family's covered by the blood of Jesus take communion. Lord, I take this and I thank you that you cover my family. I thank you that sickness is a curse. I thank you that sickness is something that was born from the enemy trying to take us out. And Lord, I thank you that it can't touch us. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've taken communion and immediately everyone's well in the house. It just, something just dropped and everything's well. Everything's good. I can't tell you how many times also that there's just been tension. You ever had tension in an environment? Tension in something? Or you personally, you're, you're trying to work through something and you're anxious and you're afraid and you don't know what to do. And you don't know the next step. And on my own, I've done this with my wife Tiffany in our marriage at times. We sat down with communion and just taken the bread and say, Jesus, 
be in the midst of us right now. Jesus, your blood, your new covenant heals us, helps us, restores us. I don't even know what to pray right now, but I pray that you'd help us. Over our church, I prayed. I'm just taking communion, and that's what we're going to do. Once a month, we take communion in here at this point. Once a month, the first Sunday of every month, we take communion together. And I believe that sins are going to be forgiven. Bodies are going to be healed. Deliverance is going to happen this morning. So he commanded it. Number two, remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. We keep in mind the person and the work of Jesus. Number three, tangible elements. It isn't enough to just say, I remember you, Lord, but in the Bible, there are elements of bread and wine that's used. We use grape juice and unleavened crackers that are used to stir our hearts and our minds. And just as food and drink is essential for us physically, it's important for us to remember the blood and the body of Christ being essential to our spiritual life. Number four, proclaim. What do we do when we do communion? We proclaim. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What does that do? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Meaning now and in the future, we proclaim that Jesus' death was enough. And it takes care of everything that we need until he comes. It's a proclamation. And it provides hope for the future. Number five, he says, do not take it in an unworthy manner. Unworthy manner. Do not take it without regard of its true worth. The way you take it is important. In remembrance. This is where, you know, kids and people can sometimes joke about certain things. And there's certain things you do not joke about. You don't joke about the Holy Spirit. You don't joke about the blood of Jesus. Certain things you just don't joke about. Number six, examine yourself. In verse 28, this is a time to check your own heart. Check your heart if there's any sin, if there's anything hidden, if there's any pretense. Maybe people don't know about it, but God knows about it. All things are naked and open to God. Jesus forgives as we confess, John, 1 John 1, 9 says. And also, confess Jesus as, the Lord, as your Lord and your Savior. You may be here and you say, I don't know if I know the Lord. Well, this is a perfect opportunity just to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life today. And then number seven, judgment. What does he say? Don't take this lightly, but in, an, in a worthy manner, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. What's the result of not taking this in the right way? Weakness, sickness, and death. And he doesn't just say that'll happen to a few. It says many. I believe that there's many people who die and get sick because they didn't receive the right way, according to the Bible. There's many people who die. There's many people who just have weakness in their life or who get sick because they didn't receive communion in the right way. And the Lord just wants honest, open hearts. Ushers, could you come forward right now? Come up to the front end. What we're going to do is we're going to pass these out. Would you hold on to the elements? Just go ahead and pass them out. Would you just hold on to the elements? Grab a, a, a cracker, grab a, a cup, and just hold on to it. We're going to take it of it together. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.